The Old Testament reading comes from Joshua chapter 24. Uh, We're going to read verses 1 and the beginning of verse 2 and then verses 13 through 25. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before the Lord God. And Joshua said to the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us up and our our fathers from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land, Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. This is the word of the Lord. Well, now we're going to get into this text. Uh, We are finally wrapping up our study of the book of Joshua this week. We're in Joshua chapter 24. And the way the book ends, uh, you may have noticed the last few weeks, the book of Joshua ends with a few different speeches. Um, Joshua's last words before his retirement and ultimately before his death. Um, And this final speech, the Joshua chapter 24 speech, contains probably the most famous words in this book. The ones that we have, if you've been around the church, heard the most. Choose this day whom you will serve. And he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Maybe you've seen those words like carved on a plaque in somebody's living room or on their doorstep. Um, But often we hear these words And they're detached from the context. Um, What I want to remind us of this morning is that Joshua was giving these people a real choice. A specific choice that he was laying out before them. And that's a choice not only for those people back then, but it's a choice for us today. 
It's a choice that we need to consider. It's a choice that ultimately we need to make. And it's a choice that will transform our lives, no matter what we decide. So today, I want us to look at that. I want us first to consider the options, to look at the choices that Joshua gives and to consider what they are. And then secondly, I want us to understand the challenges of the choice in front of us. And then finally, I want us to discover how to make the choice. So we're going to consider the options, understand the challenges, and then discover how to make the choice. All right, so first, let's, let's get into these, these options. Um, these are the final words of Joshua. The final words of one of Israel's greatest leaders. And this guy, if you haven't picked up on it, he, he has been alive for a long time at this point. He has lived for over a century. And during his lifespan, he has seen a lot of things. He lived through slavery. He lived through Moses' leadership. He lived through God miraculously delivering them out of Egypt. Joshua, he lived through four decades of wandering in the wilderness. And through this military conquest of the promised land that we've been reading about in this book, and now for the last 20 years of his life, Joshua has lived in the promised land. And now, he's about to die. This was probably a pretty emotional moment for him, but also for the people, to see this guy who they respect, this leader that they admire, this great patriarch giving his final speech. What's he going to say? What does Joshua have for us? Well, here's what he says. He tells the history of what God's done. He starts off by describing how way back in Genesis, God called Abraham. And he said that Abraham's father, Terah, he was a pagan. He worshipped other gods, and Abraham would not have known any different if God hadn't shown up, snatched him up, and claimed him as his own. And then he goes on and he describes that lineage. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He talks about how the people of Israel ended up enslaved in Egypt and how God chose Moses to deliver them. And then he talks about the miracles that lead up to the Exodus. And then he reminds them of the things that they have lived through, the events of, of the book of Joshua, the things we studied the last few weeks as we've done this series. He talks about Jericho. He talks about these great military victories that God has given his people. And then finally, he concludes with this verse that we read. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. Pretty standard stuff up to this point, right? He recaps the whole story and he says, now serve the Lord. But as I was reading this chapter this week, refreshing my memory of it and learning new things about it, I actually found myself kind of shocked by verse 15. 
by that famous verse that many of us probably think we know. But he says, If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers that they served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Do you, does that sound weird to you? He says, serve the Lord, but if you don't want to do it, choose who you're going to serve instead. Either choose the old gods that your ancestors worshipped before I called them, or choose these new gods, these gods of Canaan. That's kind of wild, right? I mean, can you imagine if, if I preached a sermon up here, and then at the end I'm like, okay, everybody, come to Jesus. But if that doesn't sound good to you, here's some other options. <laughs> here's some other people that you could come to. Here's some other gods that you could consider serving. But Joshua's words, they're well thought out. They're actually uh, incredibly profound. Because those options that he lays out for the people, they're not chosen at random. Those are choices that all people face. Those are, uh, that's a choice that everyone has to make throughout history. He says, if you don't want to serve the living God, then you need to choose between the, the old gods of our ancestors and their traditions or the new gods of the current age. And that choice is, is still before us, right? In every generation, we're faced with that choice. In every generation, we are pulled between the, the poles of tradition and progress. It's a common story. You find it in lots of books. You find it in lots of movies. It's kind of in the plot of, of Black Panther even, right? T'Challa, the king, is he going to be pulled back to the tradition of his father who says we need to bar ourselves off from the outside world? Or is he going to go in the direction of, of Killmonger who says, no, no, we need to break down our tradition. We need to get rid of it. We need to share everything we have with the rest of the world. Right? It's a common choice. It is the choice that's before us. On the one hand, our culture, it tells us, choose the new gods. The culture tells us that, that the God of the Bible, he's too old-fashioned. He's too outdated. And in New England, this pull to the new gods, that's been the pull for a long time. I was recently reading about a church here in our neighborhood. And this church, it was founded before the country was founded. And this church, it preached the gospel faithfully for 150 years, back when it was just people living in tents. <laughs> but as the, the culture started to shift, as Boston went from being mostly farmers to more and more businessmen, they had a pastor who thought, well, maybe Christianity is a little bit outdated. Maybe some of the Bible's sensibilities are a little... Uh, too harsh. Maybe we shouldn't be so bullish on all this doctrine. Maybe instead, we should make a theology that is more palatable for the modern man. And so they did. 
And that church, they started to, to question those pushy doctrines, doctrines like total depravity, a doctrine that says we are so messed up that we are so depraved that we cannot possibly come to God unless he first comes to us. And once they started to question that, they eventually started to question bigger things like the uniqueness of Jesus. I mean, who's to say that Jesus is the only way to God after all? And what started out as a little bit of progress within one generation led to that church completely abandoning the faith. And what used to be a really vibrant congregation is now an empty building. It seems like an attractive option, right, to, to ease up, to not take the Bible so seriously, especially some of those harsher things that the Bible says. But I, I heard one pastor say it this way recently, that, that the Word of God is like an ecosystem, and then if you, if you remove one part, just like in any ecosystem, if you take one animal out or you put one animal that doesn't belong into it, theology is like an ecosystem. If you pull something out or add something in, eventually it all starts to fall apart. And that's still the pull, right? We still feel that, don't we? We still hear it all the time. You can't take the Bible literally. The morals of the Bible, those things are antiquated. That stuff is, is outdated. That stuff is incompatible with the world today. And so we find a lot of people, even in the church, who try to dismiss, or at least to minimize, clear scripture. They try to wipe out stuff the Bible says really clearly, because why? Because they want to soften the blow. But what they're really doing is, is no different than worshiping those new gods, than bowing down to the ideals of the age. On the other hand, there's also the pull in the other direction. There's also this pull back to the past, this false idolizing of the way things used to be. You know what I'm talking about? And I think maybe this plagues the church even more than the first thing. What I'm talking about with the old gods is those places where, where culture, not Scripture, is, is truly controlling people's desires. You know, I think the most painful but obvious example of this in the church is slavery and Jim Crow and the civil rights era. All those times when white congregations refused to integrate because, well, that's the way things always were. And so instead, what they did was they cherry-picked Bible verses to, and made up theological arguments. But what they were really doing was worshiping the gods of their ancestors. They were worshiping these values that had absolutely nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And lest we look back and say, well, those are, are problems we don't deal with anymore, I don't want to, oh, I do kind of want to step on some toes here. <laughs> to say that, that, that right now, in the church, we see that, that the evangelical church has become this voting block that is decidedly against the rights of the poor and the immigrant, things that, that God is very clear about. 
When I see that, when I see those statistics, I wonder what God it is that we really have chosen to serve. In our passage, uh, Joshua, he knows that this is a big struggle. And so, in his final speech, as he's wrapping up his career, he lays this choice out between all the people. He says, whom will you serve? Will you serve the old gods that your fathers served before they knew me? Or will you serve the new gods of these people around you, the gods that they serve? Or will you serve the living God? What's your choice going to be? Okay, now hold on. Before we answer that question, we need to talk about how challenging the question really is. We need to understand what's at stake and just what a big decision this really is. Because when the people of Israel hear the choice, they don't hesitate, right? When Joshua says, old gods or new gods, who are you going to serve? Here's what they say. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For it's the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us all the way and went among us and all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the people and the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we will serve the Lord, for he is our God. They're quick to make the choice, but you get, as you read it, you get the idea that Joshua isn't really satisfied with their response. He, he comes back and he says, I don't think you guys get it. I don't think you really understand the choice I'm asking you to make. He says, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and turn and serve foreign gods. But they insist. They say, no, no, we're going to serve God. That's what we're going to do. And then Joshua, he finally says, okay, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. It's kind of crazy to me that Joshua has to make this statement. These are the people who have been fed by manna who have crossed through the Jordan River, who have seen the walls of Jericho fall, and yet here, 20 years in, Joshua has to still tell them, okay, well, get rid of your foreign gods then. How is it possible? How is it possible that these people still have a bunch of foreign gods? How could they have them to get rid of? Well, I think what that shows us, at the very least, is the nature of the battle we're in. The battle that we are in is a persistent battle. It is a relentless battle. The pull of the old gods and the new gods will always be alluring to us. If we're not pulled to the old gods of the traditionalists, then we're going to be pulled to the new gods of progress. 
And either way, we're going away from the living God. That's the nature of our hearts. We're constantly going back to these places. Deep down, no matter how often we have seen God working, no matter what kinds of miracles God may have done in our life, we doubt His love for us. We are continually tempted to turn. That continual struggle, that ongoing challenge, uh, that's what we see in Joshua's response here. It's a continued struggle. Somebody say continued struggle. It's a continued struggle, okay? That's why Joshua, when he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, he's not talking about just one decision. He's not talking about just a, a one-time decision that he made. In fact, if you, if you look at the, the Hebrew here, there's a continuous tense to the verb. That means he's talking about his past. He's talking about his present. He's talking about his future. He's saying, as for me and my house, we chose to serve the Lord. We choose to serve the Lord today, and we will continue to choose to serve the Lord every day in the future. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a decision that we must keep on making. You understand? It's a decision that we, we have to make over and over and over and over again. And I don't need to tell you that if you're a Christian, right? If you're a Christian in this room, you know this already. It's easy to get off course. It's easy to fall when you're trying to follow Jesus. Now in those moments of, of resolution, those moments of prayer when you're thinking with a clear head, when you're praying about your life, when you're seeking the Lord, it's easy to say, okay, of course I'm going to follow God. Of course I'm going to honor Him. Of course I'm going to be faithful. But then you get to real life. And it's a lot harder. In real life, the pressure is immense. Being faithful to God is costly. But conforming to the values of the world, it's not costly at all. In fact, if you let go of God's values, there will always be someone there to applaud you. Somebody there to convince you that you have done a great thing. It doesn't matter if you choose modernity or antiquity, if you, if you choose the direction of progressive compromise or, or conservative traditionalism, there will always be a big group of people to pat you on the back, to offer you a promotion, to tell you they're glad that you're finally seeing things clearly. But when you follow Jesus, it's usually not what happens, right? When you follow Jesus, you often find yourself on, on the outside looking in. Sometimes you get mocked. You get dismissed. I recently got to see this clip 
from uh, the movie Amazing Grace. It's a movie about William Wilberforce. I don't know if you've ever seen it. William Wilberforce was a great uh, Christian politician uh, in England, and he spent his whole life fighting against slavery and eventually winning the fight. And at the end of the movie, there's this scene that I watched where they finally take the vote to abolish slavery throughout England and its colonies, and it, it passes. And everybody stands up and, and applauds for William Wilberforce. Even his enemies stand up and they applaud him. And it's a great moment. But as I watched it this last time, the, the main feeling that I got was I just, I just felt cynical. Because I saw that and I said, you know, that is like the, one of the rare moments in history where this has ever happened. <laughs> where somebody has stood up for God's values against their culture, and in the end, everybody stands up and applauds for them. Right? That's not usually the way it goes. <laughs> usually it goes more like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Remember him? He stood up against, the, against Nazi Germany when all the rest of the church was, was conforming to, to Hitler and his terrible values. He stood against them. He tried to go against Hitler. And you know what happened to him? He was killed. But even he's not a great example because now he's a hero. Most people who follow Jesus are not remembered. The choice to follow Jesus is a costly one. And it's a choice that we are faced with not just once, not just one time on a mountaintop standing in front of Joshua, but it is a choice that you have to make every day. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. And follow me. It's a decision we make daily. A decision that Jesus calls carrying our cross. That means following him in a way that you hold nothing back. That you are ready to follow him to death. That you are willing to give him even your, your very life every single day. To follow him to death instead of pursuing the alluring values of the world. And that is a hard choice. That is a challenging choice to make. And that brings me to my third point. Because if we're being honest, the choice doesn't sound that great, <laughs> right? Choosing to be pat on the back and celebrated or choosing to die <laughs> doesn't sound so awesome. So how are we going to do that? How are we going to choose to follow Jesus? Well, there's two things. Two things that are going to make us do it. The first is the greatness of Jesus. Following Jesus, denying yourself, it will cost you some temporary pleasure. It might cost you a job. It might cost you a raise or a boyfriend or something bigger. 
But here's the secret. None of that stuff was going to make you happy anyway. What the world has to offer you is just a Black Friday sale. <laughs> you guys all saw it this week, right? You read the ads. You looked at those things. You saw those prices and you thought, man, I need that. <laughs> that is, that's the thing that I'm missing. But you know, once you wait in those lines, once you spend that money, once you have that thing in your possession, what do you find? Well, the promises were empty, right? The only real difference that thing made in your life is now your pockets are empty just like your hearts. That's all the world can give you. But Jesus, knowing Jesus, knowing the living God who loves you, is glorious. There's nothing that can compare to it. Why would you give up your life to follow Jesus? Well, it's, it's the parable of, of, of the, the, the treasure in the field, right? The guy who, who finds this treasure in the field, and when he finds it, he goes and he, he sells everything he has so he can buy that treasure, because the treasure was worth more than everything he had. It's Paul speaking in Philippians where he says, everything I had I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It only makes sense to deny yourself. It only makes sense to take up your cross and give up your life if you have found someone who's worth more than your life. Someone who can truly satisfy. Jesus, he gave his life to free us from the pull of the old gods and the new gods. On the cross, he suffered the devastating effects of choosing those things. He got what we deserved. He was empty. He was isolated. He was alone. He was in despair so that we could come and have our hearts filled. And when you see that kind of love for you, when you experience a God who, who loves you that much, there's nothing that can compare to it. When you feel the love of God, there's, there's nothing in the world that you would choose over it. It's like that old song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full at his wonderful face and the things of the world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. See, the first thing that's going to make us choose Jesus is his beauty. But the other thing that's going to make us choose Jesus is God himself. This is the part that really gets me excited. Because the awesome thing about the gospel is that it's really not all that much about your choice. It's really not all about your personal ability to resist the pull of the old gods and the new gods. 
It is about this true and living God who is on a rescue mission. It is about a God who is pursuing you. Ephesians 1, it says, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. It tells us that God has been on the move seeking and saving his people since before the world even began. That means that God, he is not sitting by passively waiting for you to get your act together. He wants you to know him. He is fighting for you, right? That's what we've been talking about. God is fighting for us. That's the point of this book. He is fighting for your heart, even right now. Can you hear him? That's not him. Can you hear him? Can you hear God calling to you? Listen, can can you hear him saying, come to me? Return to me. The only reason any of us would ever desire to follow him is because he's already pursuing us. His spirit is already working in our depraved and broken hearts. You see, it's God who chooses you first. It's God who takes us weak, idolatrous people and makes us his own. And then by the power of his Holy Spirit, he puts his spirit inside of us. He shows us our sin. He shows us the emptiness of the world's promises, of the things that we've been pursuing. And and when we repent, when we turn to him, it says we have union with Jesus. And you know what that means? It means that that he puts his spirit in us and he makes us want the things that he wants. He makes us hate the things that he hates. Now, you don't immediately become flawless. You don't immediately start acting perfectly. There's going to be bumps along the way. Sometimes you're going to slip. Sometimes you will fall flat on your face. Maybe some of you have fallen flat on your face this morning. But in Christ, we can get back up again. In Christ, we can say, yesterday was a failure, but I'm not stuck in my sin. Yesterday was a failure, but but my sin does not own me. I see through it. And I choose, again, this day, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Today. Because the glorious God has chosen me, I will choose him. I will take up my cross once again. And I'll follow him wherever he leads. I want to invite you right now to try and connect with that. I would love for us to take a moment and try to experience God pursuing your heart this morning. What I want to do is just take a a minute. It might seem like a long minute, but it's just going to be one minute. 
And I want us to sit in silence, and I want you to listen. I want you to sit before God and, and, and hear if, in fact, He's calling you. And after we do that for a few moments, let's pray. Put this question in your mind. Choose this day whom will you serve. Let's be silent. The living God wants you to know Him. He wants you to follow Him and, and not the gods of this world. Hear His call. Father, thank You that You are in pursuit of Your people. Thank You, Lord, that You have chosen us so that we can cho choose You. Lord, receive our repentance this morning. Forgive us for the ways that we've turned aside. Lord, enable us this morning to stand and follow You, to choose Your true and fulfilling promises instead of the empty promises of this world. Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.